Welcome to Telltales, an investing podcast hosted by Hunt Lawrence, Jason Wallace, and Mike Nicoletti. Each week, we discuss topics ranging from geopolitics and macroeconomics to energy and technology. You can sign up for our newsletter at telltales.us. That's T-E-L-L-T-A-L-E-S dot U-S for additional data and content you can use to follow along. The following conversation is intended for informational purposes only. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. Cool. And uh, Hunt's calling in right now, so let me patch him in. Hi, Hunt. Hi. How are you doing? You got Jason on, too? I'm here. How's it going? Great. Good. Good. Okie doke. Oil demand is just a continuation of recent weeks. Oil demand's fine. And even the oil statistics for imports China are fine. The problem is too much production. The Saudi numbers were released a day or two ago. They're down under 9 million barrels a day. They're like at 8.7 or 8.8 as compared to the 24 estimate here at 9.3. whole market depends on the Saudis being willing to continue to have lower production. Hopefully that holds together. So it's really a supply problem out of demand problem and West Texas intermediates, you know, in kind of 73, 74 range, hopefully it'll stay there, but it's really important for the Saudis to not change their mind and decide that, you know, if Russia produces too much or U S production continues to go up, that they'll just, you know, put more oil on the water that would cause a much lower oil price. So it's holding together and hopefully will continue. The story with natural gas is the same. That marvelous cold weather we had caused a lot of high gas prices in the field and, and in consuming areas, but it pretty much has gone away because the weather moderated. And once again, here it's exhibit B, there's just too much gas production. That 104 piece a day, estimate for 24 that was being done in this last quarter of 23 fortunately with the cold weather it got all the way down to 90 because of freeze-offs and whatnot but it'll come back the other discouraging thing is that lng at 15 estimate for this year that's a good number and it'll build over the next few years to 26 or 27 but the Biden administration is making a decision to discourage new capacity after that, under the theory that building 20, 30 year assets for fossil fuels is not a good idea. It would be helpful if someone else were president, but after, you know, if, if the Republican Party's gonna line up around Trump, I think from an investment point of view, there's a better and even chance that we'll have four more years of Joe Biden. On exhibit A, there's still no good numbers out of CBO, the 23 fiscal year was more than a $1.4 trillion deficit. I think there's some good news here. It's very hard now to get expenditures, whether it's Ukraine or Israel or other things, through the Senate or through the House. And so I think the overspending that happened during during uh, COVID, where, as you can see, 20 and 21, the deficit got up to $3 trillion. 
think people are learning that we can't do that. Now, without uh, reform of the mandatory program, Social Security, Medicare, Medicaid, you probably can't make a big dent in that deficit, but hopefully the deficit will flatten out. The announcements say the deficit for 23 ended last September 30 was as high as two. I, I don't think that's right. I think it was higher than 1.4 this year, maybe 1.6. I think the best we could hope for is to have that kind of flatten out. So at least the debt as a percentage of GMP flattens out. With that, we have a, a kind of an organizing theme this week. We pick up on page four which is a page for those who don't have the material in front of you, is Netflix, Walt Disney, Amazon, and Meta. And basically the theme is, Texas all is as consumers of content, but how is it going to work out? Netflix had very good results and a lot of clients, but most of the clients in overseas locations that are much less revenue per, per customer. But they're doing fine. Disney, of course, has got a proxy fight going on. Two different parties who want to add members to the board. Amazon seems to have tightened up considerably and, and be on the upswing. We've talked about that prior Wednesdays. Meta, with that huge base of 3 billion users, uh, seems to be coming back. I don't know whether it's all cost-cutting or whether they're they will have growth in revenue. But with that, if you had to pick a winner, Jason, from these four, I know we went through that a few weeks ago, I believe you picked Disney based on what you've seen after the, the couple of weeks after that, when you still, from an investment point of view, think Disney was the best part of these four companies for, uh, for 24. Did you pick Disney, Mike? I think I picked Meta. This one. Oh, I, oh I don't worry. I have the records here. Jason picked Meta and Hunt and I picked Amazon. Oh, okay. So there was no one to pick Disney. You think there's I mean part of part of the part of the proxy fight, you know, trying to add Disney directors is for them to give up streaming. Uh, at this point, Jason Mike, do you think that's a feasible strategy or just be a content company or have you got to given the fact that you get all that cash flow from ESPN uh, have you just got to continue to invest in streaming I I have a theory I don't know Jason if I direct uh, Jason and I have directly talked about this I think that in general what the market needs is an aggregator of all these streaming platforms. Um, I think Disney doesn't have the technical capabilities or the, it, the business is not well centered around being an aggregator. So I think they're best off to partner with somebody. And then, if, so if you're gonna go through the list of who are they most likely to partner with, it's pretty obvious that that would be Apple. Um, and Apple has big ambitions in the, in the space. Um, they have kind of aligned cultural values. So I think it's likely that they do a deal with Apple that involves maybe expanded streaming. Maybe they keep their streaming platform alive, but I, I think that they're going to end up licensing more of their content to others 
for the purposes of aggregation and thereby maximizing the value of the content they produce. I don't disagree. I, I think they would have been better off licensing the content and not building their streaming service. Um, I might not agree with Apple is the best choice. They, I think Apple missed an opportunity of building a physical TV. They could have owned all the screens that you interact with. And there was a lot of rumors about that. Instead, they built the TV device. Um, and the traction that they have is, is not nearly the same as, as the other companies we're talking about. Um, I think the consumer is at a point where they're spending the maximum amount that they're willing to on all the streaming services combined. They're, I think the normal person is, is the average person is paying probably just as much on streaming subscriptions as they were um, a cable bundle, you know, a decade ago. So I think there has to be some consolidation here and, and Netflix sure seems like they're the winner so far. There's another way that some of this gets, well, I don't know if this is the right way, but Verizon is doing deals with HBO Max and Netflix and bundling them together into one service that they then provide to their customers. That provides the bundling effect, which is, if you look back in the story of cable, what's really fantastic about it is that it took a lot of coordination among everyone to make it work. And it worked well for pretty much everybody. Um, over, it, I think people underestimated how great that was, and what the the reason that all these traditional media companies got into streaming is they looked at the earnings multiple that Netflix was rewarded with, and said, "Hey, I want that too." And the reality is, you 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 don't put a tech multiple on a non tech business. This is not them adopting streaming technology is not changing their core business model. It's just a uh, incremental in, uh, innovation. So I think that was happy, happy years, maybe on the far, that's the way that we like to refer to it is when people uh, listen to what they want to hear and, and don't act rationally. I think they had happy years in pursuing their streaming strategies. So I think rationality will come back to the market. Yeah. But if there was going to be a duopoly or maybe three players, then, you know, they had to attempt to be the other counterparty. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So we'll see who steps in here, but uh, it's not clear yet. And I think it's, I think whoever figures out live will. And Hunt mentioned ESPN, you know, Disney owns that asset, but they haven't capitalized on it. Yeah. I mean, they've been, they're tied to the old. Yes. Cable right. contracts. I mean, currently you get ESPN through YouTube TV in basically the same way that you would get ESPN if you were a cable subscriber. When I raised the subject with Mike in the morning, so I think uh, Wednesday calls. What about Netflix? Who is who is who is the competition to be king of the hill? Um, both Mike and Jason have said one candidate would be YouTube, which is part of Alphabet, which is on page one. And Jason, could you just run through how that? would happen. I mean, I think of YouTube as being you don't pay for the content. People do YouTube and put it up there. It's almost like a Spotify or or uh, or, uh, or for that matter, Facebook. Um, how do you see the CEO and the other key people at Netflix worrying about YouTube 
as a competitor? That's a great question. I, I don't, I don't believe they talk about them that much. Do you think so, Mike? I, it, YouTube, YouTube TV is is ex, is a replication of cable. It's just streamed over the top. Um, you download the app instead of having a cable box, and it, for all purposes, is it performs just the same function as cable did. You know, you have your list of uh, live TV that you can watch. You can watch live sports. And you can record things into Google's cloud, you know, just just like a DVR system of of yesteryear. You know, it's it's an easy thing to swap in in place of cable for, as your TV provider. Um, I think, you know, the the differentiation between YouTube TV and Netflix in the past had been Netflix is is that's where you're going to stream movies and TV shows, and you go to YouTube TV for live content. Um, it's it's starting to overlap with Netflix getting into live sports and more content. So it's kind of Netflix encroaching on YouTube. Right. So the concept there is really just don't overthink it. Right. Like by it's not, there's no huge change in behavior required in order to adopt a transitional tech technology. And I think that, especially, you know, Silicon Valley startups, that kind of stuff tend to underestimate what it takes to transition people's behavior because your early customers are typically tech savvy people that are willing to change behavior quickly. Um, but if you're trying to win over the majority of America, you need to do something that's going to fit very seamlessly into, into their lifestyles um, and maybe minimize behavior change. If you think about YouTube TV as just being an app that replaces a cable box, why did the cable providers not do that? Now, let's test whether everything's on YouTube TV when uh, Comcast and NBC and Peacock had that football game and you had to be a Peacock subscriber. Did you, did you get that game on your YouTube TV? I don't believe we did. I didn't watch it, so I'm a <laughs> bad sample. Um, right. But I, I think he needed the Peacock app in order to do it because they had exclusive rights. Right. And now, it cost them like 100 million bucks or something. It was a pretty serious. Uh, oh, I know. I know. And uh, and they sent everyone looking for, you know, how could they get onto Peacock, you know, and, you know, by two o'clock that afternoon or whenever the football game was. Does YouTube have the capability to be the aggregator? In other words, charge a certain amount per month and, and in effect, line up Netflix and Peacock and Disney Channel so that you simply go one place and press a button and then be able to pull up any content on any of the streamers? Or is, is that way too ambitious a target for YouTube TV. I don't think it's am too ambitious for Alphabet. They, they take on some big projects, but it doesn't appear that they're pursuing that at all. Um, I don't think, I don't believe there's any component of it that you call up um, pre-recorded licensed content. Um, it's, it's, it's content you, that you record with a digital DVR type service um, so you have to program it to record the live, the live television, and then you can 
watch that show later. Um, now, is it actually doing that behind the scenes? I think it's just, you know, they record every show and then you can stream the ones that you ahead of time that you select. Um, but also, you know, they have YouTube. So they, they have the ultimate um, platform with user generated content. And, and that, that, it'd be interesting to look at the time spent between all of these different things. And I, and I think YouTube, the original YouTube, probably gets the most eyeballs and the most hours of streamed content out of any of them. And the content provided to them is free. Oh yeah, right. easily, yeah. easily. Yeah. How do you see um, Meta as a competitor for Netflix or or Alphabet slash YouTube? Obviously, an advertising competitor. Yeah, they compete. But, they compete for your attention. Um, you know, they they would rather you get addicted to social media than spend a couple hours watching Netflix. Um, I think in the future, what Mark Zuckerberg is trying to do with his, uh, his VR, AR um, work is, is be the platform that you're going to access apps. You're going to access Netflix within the, within the headset. And instead of sitting on your couch for all appearances, it, it seems like you're sitting in a movie theater. Um, and I've actually tried that out, and it's, it's pretty impressive. Um, What's interesting is is Netflix coming out and saying they're not going to be a part of Apple's Vision Pro. Uh, they won't they won't build an app for that. So I don't know if there's a deal where Meta is going to have the exclusive on Netflix with Quest or or what. So we'll find out there. But that's kind of an interesting um, take on it. Yeah, and that that all goes back to industry drama over who gets what percentage of whose re- revenues and you know. Apple can force the hand when they have the power, but in the case of a brand new platform with no users on it, that, you know, why should Netflix invest in Apple's platform? That very well could be the case, right? Because Apple, Apple demands 30%. Mm-hmm. Right. Yeah. And that's, right. that's whether you make the purchase in the app or outside of the app now. So asking for 30% of Netflix's subscriber revenue is, is a big tall order. Yeah, I don't foresee that happening. That would, if you look at the Netflix numbers, that would, that would take free cash flow to zero. Anything remarkable about AT&T, Verizon, T-Mobile? Obviously, T-Mobile and I guess Verizon with their fixed-based wireless has been a bit of a problem for Charter and Comcast. What else, what else do you see going on in those three? Kind of mobile service providers. The big thing has been a reduction in capex, and um, you know, there's been a lot of, I think, on the part of the investor community, kind of dissatisfaction with the whole five G rollout because it's costed more, it's taken longer, and it hasn't generated lots of profits yet. But I, I do think where we are now there's sufficient capacity that the jump to 6G is going to take, nobody's going to be really itching to make the jump to the next generation. Um, there's a lot of room to run with the existing technology. So it should be a profitable period of time for all three of those companies. The counterpoint to that is a very expensive 
CapEx uh, endeavor will be launching satellites to provide uh, space-based 5G, which some of them are, are starting to partner up to do. Yeah, I mean, that's the next and more exciting side of what's happening in telecom is a universal global network. Maybe you have data center and compute in space rather than on land. Uh, there's, you know, it's kind of, it's exciting the way these things are going. And the, the concept that you could take your cell phone to the North Pole and still have um, high-speed connected. Uh, yeah, I, yeah, exactly. To make a phone call home. Um, it's pretty wild. So the, the world's come a long way. Is there room for two systems? I noticed Amazon is going to put satellites up, but it, it looks like SpaceX's Starlink has a huge head start on them. I guess there's probably room for three or more. There's, um, there's four existing today. There you go. Uh, the SpaceX, uh, AST Space Mobile, I believe is the name of them. Um, Amazon's Project Kuiper, and then EchoStar Dish Network. Um, they have a global S-band 5G service. Oh, the GlobeStar, too. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And what's the disadvantage of, of uh, satellites versus wire? Well, with the LEO constellation, you reduce the latency. So the, the, the main disadvantage with satellites today, if you use a traditional geosynchronal, geosynchronous satellite, is the latency is really slow, um, which makes some types of things practically impossible. And as our demands for data get more intense, those geosynchronous, geosynchronous satellite connections are basically useless. And, you know, think of... The kid streaming a TikTok video, it would take forever to load, basically, um, or to switch to the next one, that send a message, receive a message, um, even if the throughput's pretty high. So going to a Leo constellation makes these much more usable um, from a performance perspective. And cost-wise, it's much cheaper to launch these smaller satellites because of SpaceX. Um, it used to be that the only thing that would make sense was a geosynchronous satellite because the economics of launch required you're going to, you know, you're talking about a $300 million, $300 million plus project. And in order to do, to justify it all, you'd have to have so many additional satellites and the cost of the launch would end up eclipsing the cost of the satellites in the case of a LEO constellation. So Really, we can thank SpaceX for the ability to launch all these constellations um, at a, you know, an economic price point. We've got five minutes left, having spent a fair amount of time on this subject. Any news events on software or chips or biotech that's worth pointing out as compared to last week? Well, in semiconductors, um, TSMC and ASML have both reported in the last since last call, and uh, they both kind of gave indications that the the semiconductor cycle is bottomed, and they're seeing the light at the at the end of the road there. So, TSMC predicts that they're or they're predict. So today, AI is is roughly five percent of their total sales, and they're predicting that that is going to be in the low teens. Um, and then 
an ambitious target for them is is high teens or maybe 20% of their revenue goes to AI. Uh, and then ASML, uh, I know we, we brought up in, a, in the previous call, previous Wednesday, that we're worried about their backlog. Their net new bookings that they just reported uh, have tripled. So they're, they're seeing a lot of uptick in orders that are going to go out till 2025. Um, so one stat that they brought up in their call is, is there's 20 new fabs that they're working with that are under construction today. Uh, and then once the fab is completed, the structurally completed, in 2025, they'll be delivering um, the lithography machines to those fabs. Um, so they, they see this year is kind of flat, and then 2025 is going to be a, a, a very big up year for them. This episode of Telltales is brought to you by Top Mark Capital. They're not your typical hedge fund. They use a blend of best practices from value investing, venture capital, and private equity, which gives them a unique perspective on market dynamics. And the results truly speak for themselves. So, if you're a qualified investor who's looking for an innovative, emerging manager, visit topmarkcapital.com to learn more. This is not an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. And now, back to the show. We just have a few minutes left, but there's been kind of an, we, we don't cover it, but there's been an uptick in memory chips or demand for memory chips that are connected to data centers to have AI have, have uh, the capacity to handle large language models. And, but I guess the principle participant in that has been uh, Hynix, our Korean company. You know, so it's been a, a little a bit of a specialization in the memory chip business. That's right. Yeah, the, the thing in demand is high bandwidth memory. Uh, and that, that's what's required for these AI chips. And, and you're right that SK Hynix is, has been the leader in that. And I, th I think Micron traditionally had been a big player in that market, but they're We'll have to go back and look, but it seems like they're they're getting left behind currently. Yeah, they only have about nine percent of um, the high bandwidth memory market. SK SK Hynix has, uh, I think, over fifty percent of it. Yeah, so. and memory is very cyclical as well. So, so what we're seeing now is the again the uptick in in that cycle. Mm -hmm. It seems like memory bottoms a little earlier before the producers that were doing HBM because there's so much demand for HBM. Mm -hmm. a couple of minutes left news and biotech it's very early stage um but eli Lilly put out um a press release again for a, a a genetic therapy a gene therapy and in this case they were curing um a condition for hearing loss in children a genetic condition that caused hearing loss um i think they only dosed two children so far, but the first child at, at 30 days after receiving the treatment had full restoration of their hearing. So it's, it's interesting that, you know, now gene therapies are starting to make it to the finish line and, and kind of in a new era where we're going to cure genetic disease. Would this be a situation um, where, um, Jason, where you actually have to pull the, um, 
pull material out of the body and adjust it and put it back in? Or will there be gene therapy where you swallow a pill or something gets injected? I want to say that this one was in vivo. It was an injection. It's delivered. The gene therapy is delivered through a, a viral vector. So it's a, a virus engineered to make the, the, the edits to your, to your DNA. Um, so the future could be in vivo, but the, the danger there is, is and, and why the first treatment was uh, they're pulling cells out of your body, editing them and, and implanting them is you can test how the gene edits went. You can, you're making sure that you're not putting um, improperly edited, edited cells back into the body. Uh, so I think you know, there's a lot of research on in vivo gene editing going on right now. I think maybe it's further off than, than the, the market expects due to the, the complications that could arise. So if, if something went wrong, you can't just discard that cell and implant another cluster of cells. Um, you've already made that that change in the body. I, but by pulling the material out, you're creating quite a lengthier process for the patient. Absolutely. Also, probably quite a lot more expensive as well. Definitely, definitely. So the, the added discomfort and expense is, is you get the safety profile. Yeah. Good. Anything, anything else to add, Mike, before we uh, ring off for another week? No, I think that wraps up pretty good. The only, the only thing I'd add, and Mike and I were talking about it this morning, is that if we get a Trump-Biden rematch, the impact from an investment point of view, I think without taking sides, from an investment point of view, the three of us and everyone who listens in real time or on the podcast should make investment decisions based on four more years of the Biden administration. It comes out differently than, you know, we can adjust. But at this moment, sitting, you know, nine months from the election, I think that is the right outcome to assume when you're trying to decide whether to add to a position that you have or sell something that you think is run too far or sell half. I think the right working assumption is four more years of Biden. And I don't think that assumption is going to change too much. So now Let's think about what might change that. I suppose it would be a health issue for Joe Biden, which would make him disabled and not able to serve four more years. But I think that a, the right working assumption is four more years of the Biden administration. Now, that has impacts. You take the price of natural gas. Biden administration is pretty firmly moving to not do any more permitting for incremental LNG plants past ones that are under construction. That, that is not good for the price of natural gas four, five, six years from now. 
we've we've spending a lot of time in these Wednesday calls on chips and software and equipment to make the chips like ASML. It probably means continued stress on trying to not export technology that could be used for military purposes to China. And so it's not necessarily good news for ASML or other chip equipment manufacturers, probably not good news for NVIDIA or AMD or anyone in the chip business. So this is one of the things that we all have to deal with from a macro point of view. And with that, uh, we'll talk next Wednesday. Everyone stay well and be healthy. Uh, please, in the interim, you can email in to Mike or Jason or Diane questions and we'll do our best to uh, cover those subjects based on those emails. And we'll be on again next week. Take care. Thank you for joining us this week. Please tune in again next week as we will be back on Wednesday. As a reminder, nothing on this podcast should be considered investment advice. You should always do your own work to determine if an investment is suitable for you. The views expressed on this podcast are the hosts alone and do not constitute an offer to sell or a recommendation to purchase or a solicitation of an offer to buy, any security nor a recommendation for any investment product or service. While certain information contained herein has been obtained from sources believed to be reliable, neither the host nor any of their employers or their affiliates have independently verified this information, and its accuracy and completeness cannot be guaranteed. Accordingly, no representation or warranty, expressed or implied, is made as to and no reliance should be placed on the fairness, accuracy, timeliness, or completeness of this information. The hosts and all employers and their affiliated persons assume no liability for this information, and no obligation to update the information or analysis contained herein in the future and may or may not hold positions in the securities mentioned. Mm-hmm.